With the ubiquity of technology in our lives have come concerns over privacy, security, and surveillance. These are particularly potent in relation to what's come to be called big data. Navigating the complicated terrain is a constant conversation in some sectors of the tech industry, as well as academia, and it's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist. John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department. Our guest today is Christoph Kurtz. Kurtz is a postdoc at the Department of Health Economics at the Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich. His research includes statistical methods for health economics and health policy, especially Bayesian methods and causal inference. Recently, he's focused on privacy research because of the increased requirements demanded by EU legislators regarding the handling and processing of health data. Kurtz has authored a piece for Significance magazine about the concept of differential privacy. Christoph, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I, I wonder yeah. what is it about those the new EU requirements or the pressures you're feeling from the EU that made privacy become a focus for you? Yeah, so I'm not a privacy researcher by training. Uh, my research was set in introduction is uh, statistics for health economics and for health policy, but I deal with a lot of health data and a lot of new EU regulations on how privacy has to be ensured in, in health data and how to handle privacy in health data. And that was kind of what increased my interest in, in, in privacy research. But my, um, my background is that I actually consider privacy as an obstacle that kind of restricts my scientific work. Uh-huh. For example, <laughs> when I did some data analysis on a, on a health claims data set. We obtained it from an, from an insurance company and I was only allowed to process this data on a very specific laptop. Like the laptop had kind of a secure VPN connection and, and this laptop was really painfully slow. So I, <laughs> I really did not enjoy working it and all, all of this just because of privacy. I mean, this was kind of super annoying. But then, uh, I mean, like like a year ago or so, I, I heard of a concept called uh, differential privacy and I read an article about it. And then I was like, um, whoa, there's kind of a, a mathematical definition for privacy. So maybe privacy is a, is a really interesting uh, area of research. And uh, that's that's kind of how I got into, into privacy research. Um, so the EU, EU legislation, is one reason. I mean, we all uh, see the, the the effects of this uh, kind of EU regu- uh, regulations. For example, when we visit a website, there's this new kind of like pop-up where we have to accept tracking or, mm-hmm. or reject it. This is kind of a result of the EU reg- legislation. And basically, I think this is kind of a good thing. So. I think there should be more law, more regulations on privacy. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it kind of restricts my my research. So, so, so how can I have both? Or I mean, if I, yeah. Well, I, I like how you started your significance piece by by su- suggesting the the kind of important balance 
that exists between you know the the data protection as being an important important asset, but but also data analysis. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that, that we're collecting information not not just for grins, but we're we're collecting it for purpose. And to be able to use it for purpose, it has to have some some degree of fidelity, you know, with even yeah. with protection. So this this balance point. But but before I, you know, we kind of push into kind of a, a little more of the, the nuance of privacy. Can can you kind of give a, an, an informal, colloquial, kind of casual explanation of what what is meant by privacy in this context? I think privacy can be defined as the right to be left alone, the right to uh, being unobserved. I think that that would be a a good definition of privacy. And this is in in contrast to, I think, secrecy, for example. Secrecy means you actively hide information. Mm -hmm. But but privacy is more about not being observed or the, the right to be unobserved. Oh, I got to follow up on that now. So, so you know, we just had the in the U.S. the decennial census, mm-hmm. and it's and that's a mandated requ- reporting requirement. You know, you have to report. So, in some sense, there there are times that that decisions that are being made, you know, for the you know for public good, for society, for for allocation of resources within within many communities, requires information. So while mm-hmm. while you have this, you know, we value privacy. We also value that that you will be represented and your perspective heard when when certain decisions are made. So how does yep. that, you know, that's 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 kind of a, an explicit decision to kind of to to give up of some privacy for 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 kind of being represented in decisions. Yeah, exactly. I think in the in the scientific community are currently two revolutions kind of colliding. And, and the one revolution is the so-called open data revolution or the, the, the replication crisis that caused kind of, a, kind of a open, an open data movement. And of course, this, this, this makes sense. Like researchers are encouraged to, to share their data, like put it in open repositories so everybody can kind of replicate or do some reanalysis. This makes scientific results transparent. It also saves money because other research groups don't have to collect the same data again. And uh, it's also nice or for teaching or for, for instructions. And uh, at the same time, we have new concerns about privacy. And uh, when we face data like the most interesting data is usually the most sensitive. Like uh, when my, my PhD supervisor told me, so if you want to get into those high ranking journals, you have to either have very good data or a very good idea. And I think I had neither. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Chris. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so really data about individuals is, 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 is very valuable and it cannot be shared freely because Mm -hmm. data like very sensitive of data of yourself can have negative consequences for it for example you can harm someone's reputation or someone's employability for example if your employer finds out you have a very serious disease you might not 
employ you anymore or you may it might limit your credit worthiness or your insurability and these are these are serious harms to your privacy that really conflict with the open data movement it's an interesting conversation around this issue of privacy and data I do a lot of work in the in the realm of qualitative research, and when we when you do ethnographies or, mm-hmm. you know, in depth interviews, a lot of the conversations are about how do you protect the individuals and in, in what you write up, how do you mask them, and there's a whole discussion about like do you alter quotes to be able to hide them, and mm-hmm. so it's sort of interesting. Because that's in qualitative work, what we've been struggling with for a long time, particularly in this age of digital media, where if you are doing work online and you you know pull something from online, people can track you down if they Google really savvily. And so this issue around privacy and data, I think, is really compelling in that I think that for a long time, people imagined data being this thing that kind of stripped you of your identities, right? Data being open has sort of you know, made people realize in a way that I think we always knew, but it's actually you are identifiable if people are looking, right? And so I think figuring out how to mask mask individuals in these large data sets is really intriguing and also super complicated, obviously. Exactly. And, and many people would say, okay, I remove like the name or uh, like a personally identifiable ID or something from the data set and then privacy is ensured. But this is this is not the case. There's tons of research that, that that showed that people can really be identified. I mean, there's this famous um, result by Latanya Sweeney, and she said that 87% of Americans can uniquely be identified by gender, birthday, and zip code alone. Wow! And this is this is really really um, remarkable. And this the reason for this is that we live so many kind of digital footprints, like combinations of unique variables that make us unique and identifiable in the data set. Yeah, that, that kind of leads into kind of exploring a little bit more of the, the kind of the technical ideas that maybe you're here. I mean, so, so when you're talking about this combination of information, mm-hmm. that, that goes to what was going to be my second question. So I'm going to, I'm going to postpone this idea of robustness under composition. As a, mm-hmm. as a concept to, for us to return to. But when you're talking about this balance between the protection of data and insights from data analysis, you, you have this formalization of privacy loss. And that, mm-hmm. that's, so could you talk just a little bit about what, what's meant by privacy loss and how by, you know, what are some of the mechanisms that you use to fuzz, you know, I, I would say fuzz up kind of the, <laughs> the data to, for, for mm-hmm. the purposes of protection but yet having fidelity to the analysis. Yeah, so I mean, privacy loss is mostly used in, in, in the definition of the differential privacy definition, actually. So I already mentioned this, um, differential privacy is kind of a mathematical definition that indicates when publishing a result or a data set can be considered private. In a, in, a, in a specific sense. And the unique ability of, of differential privacy is that it can be tuned, like this kind of a tuning knob between privacy and not adding, getting good results because differential privacy is about adding noise. This is kind of the, the simplest way to describe privacy is by adding noise. But um, there's kind of this privacy loss parameter. This is kind of the, the tuning 
knob that defines how much privacy is is gained and on the other hand how much like accuracy is lost that seems like a really really hard question yeah you know to think about what's you know where, where do you put that kind of you know i, I like this idea of the the tuning this idea of a, a tuning parameter or a knob that you're you're twisting but you know just how far do you twist before you you have great noise and no signal yeah or yeah, or <laughs> yeah. i think this is probably also the the main difficulty of differential privacy but uh, because it, it is a mathematical definition it can it can be defined so sometimes this 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 loss parameter is also defined as a privacy budget so how many hmm. queries can you make on such a data set that is differentially private before anything can be revealed like how many queries can you make before you can kind of reconstruct who's who and if that person is in the data set or not and uh, so, so the privacy loss is also kind of a, a budget you mm. you have on on how to how often you can safely query your data you're listening to stats and stories and today we're talking with christoph hertz about differential privacy uh christoph i wonder how now that you sort of have been exploring this idea of differential privacy, and I know your your work has been in the field of health economics, how you imagine this impacting the work that you could continue doing in that particular field? I think it will be more and more required in the future to have some kind of privacy statement or maybe some kind of privacy analysis that you have to take in, in health economic research because not only because of the requirements by law but also economic data personal personal health information is a very sensitive type of data mm -hmm. and i think the requirement to ensure privacy regarding health records electronic health records health claims data will be increasing Mm -hmm. And I think this does not only affect health economics, also health policy and all types of biomedical research alike. So can I follow up just to ask you, what, what kind of problems are you working on now? I mean, so give, can you give us an example of a, a health economics project that you're exploring where and where differential privacy comes into play? Yeah, so in, in health economics, we are, for example, interested in high cost cases, so kind of mm -hmm who is someone who costs a lot to the to the insurance company and these are very often outliers and i mean like health insurance companies interested in kind of identifying those people and maybe offer different plans or kind of yeah changing their insurance type or something like that and of course as as like someone who's researching on this type of data, we, want, we don't want to harm such a person. We don't want to make this person identifiable mm -hmm. for the health insurance company. So because this can present a serious harm to those people. And this is not our, our job or our goal. And I mean, we, we, we don't want to kind of make those people identifiable. And by ensuring kind of privacy method measures privacy focused analyses we can guarantee that 
in a way. Although, just as a quick follow-up, if if you go through and you're trying to predict who these these mm -hmm. these outlying cases might be, it 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 could one could easily imagine that that kind of some unique combination of of input variables might really narrow this down, and just by mm -hmm. by stratifying on those. You know, by collecting those together, if someone is 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 highlighted as as being a member of this this intersection of all these categories, that you'd pick them out. That it seems like you are then effectively identifying the people. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I I, I know what you mean. I mean, yeah, I mean it's probably not too difficult to identify. Kind of, there are certain diseases or certain kind of comorbidities that really do cost mm -hmm. a lot, and I mean this. This is known by the health insurance company as well. So mm -hmm. this is probably not a, sure, sure, not sure. a secret. Um, That's a good point. But still, I mean, there could be someone who doesn't have those typical high cost comorbidities or something like that. And he, it, he or she is not on like the, the focus list of this health insurance company or something like that. So we don't want to give additional attention to someone who may not be kind of the focus of, of, of a high cost case study or something. I wonder, Christoph, if you could explain the way maybe you would to your mother or to a friend who's not a statistician, <laughs> why why they should care about this issue. I mean, that's the thing, you know, as journalists, we're always kind of trying to think about, you know, why someone should care. And I wonder, you know, this is a, you know, a, a, a story about how do you protect data when you're doing research? You know, why should the layperson care about any of this? Yeah, so I think if I take the... Per the perspective of someone participating in a study. So as a study participant, I have to ask myself, can I be harmed by my participation in a study or by my inclusion in a data set or so? And can I be harmed even by my census report or can I be harmed by my social media account, for example? Mm -hmm. And in many cases, I am harmed and my my only option is to not participate. So there's kind of two extremes. I I don't want to harm myself by participating, but maybe I would have an incentive to participate, like getting a special treatment or so, which I wouldn't get otherwise, for example. And my only two options are participating, not participating. And what if there would be a third option, like <laughs> participating, but not being harmed by my participation? This would be the ideal case. Yeah. And this can be achieved by ensuring your privacy. And this would be the, the main goal of ensuring privacy. And, and this should be the goal of anybody who analyzes data or or, or, or creates kind of a survey or a study or runs a study or runs a cohort or something like that. Well, you know, I'd like to like to thank you for taking this in a direction that I hadn't thought about until you just made that remark. <laughs> and that is, you know, so now all of a sudden I'm thinking about informed consent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one aspect of uh, participating in the health study, which is a great example, is that that you are informed of a lot of possible outcomes. And often with with treatments like you just mentioned, it could be side effects associated with some you know, pharmaceutical intervention or, or, or surgical procedure for that matter. 
But but there's also this this potential adverse outcome of disclosure of medical records. And I'm just I'm just sort of imagining how this story is going to be told to research subjects into the future. You know, it's it's pretty easy to tell. You know, I mean, actually, it's it's easy to talk about the idea of risk, although whether someone understands it or not is a different question. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> of these adverse outcomes. But but you know, how do you imagine describing this to someone who would be a participant in some future study? That oh, by the way, there is some potential. Da- you know, you your material might be potentially released. This electronic mm-hmm. information might be released. How, mm-hmm. how would you tell the story of, of kind of the consequences of, of kind of this loss of data privacy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's general practice. If you participate in a study, then the, you are told, of course, your data is uh, ensured to be kept private and your name is removed and, uh, and all, everything like that. But um, I think the reality is different. So... We all have heard from from the news, kind of data leakage, data breaches, like data got released without kind of because of hacking or cyber threats or something like that. And um, on the other hand, there's also kind of a million dollar market for for health data. I think I, I read a recent piece in the New England Journal and. This was also a, a commentary on the privacy laws in the US, which are kind of almost non-existent, I think. And this has enabled the rise of a really multi-million or billion dollar industry that that, that sells and, and processes and links all kind of, of, of health data. And as a as a participant, I don't I don't want that. And I mean, even if the study says okay my privacy insured there's really no guarantee it, re- it really is because something like a like a release or a leakage can happen and i think the only guarantee would be these kind of statistical privacy measures that that i mentioned and if your data is mathematically private then it also would cover future everything that could happen in the future like a future release of your data it would be covered because your data is mathematically private and uh, is uh, has injected noise into it so that you're not uh, uniquely identifiable so just as it seems like one aspect of this this part of of ensuring the data privacy this this introduction of noise in a in a clever way so that there's still fidelity or this integrity of an analysis that occurs. I, I thought that you the, the comment about it, an important feature of data privacy is you know robustness under composition. And as you as you state in your your article, mm-hmm. when you're accumulating risk across multiple analyses, and I thought that was a, a pretty pretty powerful statement or a pretty powerful property. Can you talk about you know what that means to say that that you know you're that why this is important to be protected when you have this composition of analyses? Yeah, so this is closely related to the privacy loss we we discussed earlier. So differential privacy has this parameter that defines privacy loss, but it's also kind of a privacy budget as we as we said. And composition means in this case, so I can I can do a 
differentially private analysis on a data set. And if I do a second analysis, I gain no new information on an individual, whether he or she is included in the data or maybe he or she can be uniquely identified. So there's a, there's a kind of guarantee that if I do two analyses, I, do, I don't reveal more information then I would be doing one analysis. However, this is not kind of infinite. It has to be defined by the uh, privacy loss parameter. And this is maybe also a problem because you don't know like forever how many analyses are going to happen. But if you have defined such a budget, you cannot, you can deplete it, but then it's kind of gone. Then every analysis after that would not be differentially private like in a, in a mathematical sense to guarantee privacy well that's all the time we have for this episode of stats and stories christoph thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much for having me stats and stories is a partnership between miami university's departments of statistics and media journalism and film and the american statistical association you can follow us on twitter at stats and stories apple podcast or other places where you can find podcast if you'd like to share your thoughts on the program send your email to stats and stories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net and be sure to listen for future editions of stats and stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics Thank you.